Hey, welcome to episode number 249 of More Than Bread, episode 249. You know what that means. It means that the next episode is number 250. So I'll say more about that in the next episode. For now, we're going to hit Philemon. I've spent two episodes setting up the context of Philemon because that just seemed really important to understand um, what the Bible says about slavery, uh, to think about what God thinks about slavery. So let me just set up Philemon one last time. Who wrote Philemon? For more than two years during his third missionary journey, Paul shared Jesus with the people of Ephesus. And and this was a a hit-it-out-of-the-park kind of mission for Paul. Stuff that God was doing. God was on the move, and so many people in Ephesus, and even visitors to Ephesus, accepted the gospel message and, and started following Christ. One of the visitors who found Jesus under Paul's leadership and mission was a guy named Philemon from the nearby city of Colossus. Now, in the book of Philemon, which is a personal letter to Philemon from Paul while Paul is in prison, Paul addressed his beloved brother as a fellow worker. And that was a title given to those who served for a time alongside Paul. In other words, Philemon was a player on the field. He wasn't just a fan in the stand. He, he was part of Paul's team. Just just like the writers of two of the Gospels, Mark and Luke, they were part of Paul's team. They got the same title in Philemon. So it's very clear there's a, a relationship here. There's a friendship between Paul and Philemon. So why the letter? Well, slave, and, and remember, kind of think more indentured servant than what was taking place in America before the Civil War, named Onesimus, had escaped from his owner Philemon and had run away from Colossus to Rome probably hoping that he could disappear in the big city and carve out a new life of freedom. While he was in Rome, Onesimus, either by accident or by design, or even better yet, I would describe it as by God's design, Onesimus came into contact with Paul, who's in prison. And Paul, pretty promptly, it seems like, led the runaway to Jesus. Now, Paul was already planning on sending the letter to the Colossian church, and so he wrote this letter to Philemon and sent it along with the letter to Colossus, and and along with the letter he sent Onesimus, he sent Onesimus the slave, the person, back to Philemon. So let me read the letter one more time, and we'll chat a bit about it. I'm reading from the New International Version. Here's what Paul says. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus... And Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. Also to Aphia, our sister. And we don't know for sure who Aphia was, but but pretty good possibility that she was connected to Philemon, perhaps as his wife. Also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, in the home of Philemon. Verse 3, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God, Paul says, as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. And I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing that we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. 
I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I don't want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done any anything wrong to you or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. <laughs> Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ, confident of your obedience. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you and answer to your prayers Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristocars, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I really love the book of Philemon, at least in part because it's a reminder that God cares about individuals, you and me, our growth, our our personal problems, our stuff. It's it's not just the huge overarching doctrines of the sufficiency and sovereignty of Christ, that Christ is more than enough, that he's He's not just prominent, he's preeminent. It's also about my freedom and, and your freedom and our relationships, the little and the big things. The huge doctrines are not set off apart from us. The love of Christ and the glory of Christ affects my personal life. It, it changes my life. And in fact, Paul was there to see how the gospel changed Philemon's life, and Paul was there to see how the gospel changed Onesimus' life. And as a result, Paul's basic message to Philemon is that because of the work of love and forgiveness that Jesus brought in Philemon's life, you, you can show, you can now show the same love and forgiveness to Onesimus. So in this very practical matter, Paul is saying, forgive Onesimus and and accept him as a brother and consider sending him back to me to serve me while I'm in prison. Now, Paul is not not minimizing Onesimus' sin. He's not asking Philemon to just forgive and forget like it's no big deal. But on the other hand, Paul is not afraid to ask Philemon to make a, a sacrifice. He's asking Philemon to take a step of extraordinary generosity, a generosity of grace, of forgiveness. So just even now, take a moment and think through your life. Is there, is there a place where someone stole something of yours, cheated you out of something you deserved? Is, is there a place, is there a time in your life when someone didn't pay you back what they owed? Forgiving someone, in essence, is saying to them, I will not expect you to make it up to me. Now, expecting someone to make it up to me is justice, and there's nothing wrong with justice, but but make no mistake, justice is not grace. See, grace says, I choose to live with the consequences of your actions. I forgive you. Forgiveness is a, a powerful act of healing grace that changes our life. It changes our life in the giving, and and it changes the lives of others in the receiving. But even if they don't receive it, it changes my life in the giving. I I forgive not just for others. I forgive for me. Uh, Elizabeth Morris was a, a woman from a small Kentucky town who experienced an incredible transformation from being an angry, bitter woman into someone who experienced freedom and joy and delight when grace was activated in her life. 
Her, her story starts two nights before Christmas. Uh, this was actually a couple of decades ago. She was sitting up late waiting for her son, Ted, to come home from his temporary job at the mall. He was on Christmas break from his first year in college. At 10.40 p.m., Mrs. Morris got the call that all parents dread. Mrs. Morris, this is the hospital your son has been in an accident. As it turned out, another young man had been driving drunk, three times the legal limit of alcohol in his blood. He, he crossed the center line head-on into Ted's car. The drunk driver was slightly hurt, but before the night was over, Ted Morris was dead. And they were devastated. He, he was their only child, a, a well-behaved son with a bright future, and now he's gone. And, and her anger her anger burned even brighter when the 24-year-old man who killed Ted was given probation. Elizabeth said, the hatred within me was like a wildfire sweeping down a dry canyon, consuming every part of me. And these mental tapes of that night were on a continuous loop in her heart. Seeds of bitterness grew to anger and malice. She wanted to do him harm, pay him back. She even fantasized about hitting him with her car and pinning him up against a tree and watching him suffer. She slowly crushed him. She spent her spare time following him to try to catch him violating his probation so that he'd be sent to prison. And over time, her bitterness began to drive a wedge between her and her husband. It began to chase away her friends. It, it drained her of her ability to laugh and enjoy life. But she, she hung on so tightly to her heart's wounds. And bitterness will do that, won't it? Bitterness is like CPR for your pain. It, it just keeps it alive. It senses you to, to live a hurt over and over and over again. If you have any bitterness in your heart, you, you know what I'm talking about. And, and maybe nothing like this has ever happened to you. You haven't gone this far, but sometimes it just starts with a seed, a seed of bitterness, maybe a rotten word or an action, something done that hurts intentionally or unintentionally. It really doesn't matter. The, the hurt brought bitterness and, and you allowed the bitterness to fester and then we become a little bit sour and, and instead of dealing with the sourness, we cultivate it so it grows. And soon our, our sour spirit blossoms into wrath and anger. And as anger grows like a cancer, we find ourselves given to quarreling. And next comes slander, spreading of rumors, talking behind backs. Our, our bitter, sour spirit leads ultimately to malice, ill will, a decision to make them pay. If they're not going to pay me back, if they can't make it up to me, I'm going to make them pay for what they've done. Elizabeth described it as a cancer that was eating her, eating her away from the inside out. You know, Paul says in Ephesians 5, 30 through 32, this is the same Paul that encouraged Philemon to forgive Onesimus. He said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Put all bitterness and wrath and anger and quarreling and slander out of your life. Don't let there be any malice. Instead, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. And, and somehow, over time, at some point, Elizabeth came to the realization that her heavenly father had lost his only son. And when that son was dying as payment for Elizabeth's own sin, he, he looked at the soldiers in charge of torturing him and he said, Father, forgive them. They, they don't know what they're doing. And so Elizabeth found a way to give forgiveness to the man who killed her son. And, and when she did, it was like she just activated grace. And, and you know what? It's not time that heals all wounds. It's grace. But, but here's something interesting. Not only did her forgiveness activate grace in her life, it activated grace for others. Over time, 
as her attitude began to change, not only was she healed from bitterness, but she and her husband were actually able to build a relationship with their son's killer, Tommy Pagaji. Their influence, their friendship influenced Tommy to begin following Jesus and, and turn his life around. And, and as unbelievable as it sounds, Mr. Morris, a part-time preacher, ended up baptizing Tommy. And as Tommy emerged from beneath the water, symbolizing the renewal of his life through Christ, they hugged and sobbed. Later, he presided at Tommy's wedding. And for years after that, the Morrises would ride to church every Sunday with Tommy and his wife. They, they worshiped together the God of the second chance. I love what James, a brother of Jesus, said in James 2.13. He said, judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. But mercy triumphs over judgment. You know, live long enough and you will understand the difficulty of offering forgiveness when you've been wronged. It, it doesn't come easy. I know that. If, if, if that's you, if I'm talking to you, I know it doesn't come easy. And yet as Christ followers, we forgive because we've been forgiven. We give up our right to justice because Jesus gave up his right to justice for us. So forgiveness is its just what we do. It's in the DNA of a Christ follower. If, if forgiveness has been a struggle for you, allow Paul's letter to Philemon to encourage grace. Because when we give grace, <laughs> what was once unuseful becomes useful. I love the play on words that Paul uses. Each of our kids' names were chosen more because of what the name means than because of how it sounds. And I think over the course of the years, in a number of ways, our kids have grown into their names. Onesimus had a similar experience with his name. His name literally meant useful. <laughs> from runaway slave to brother in Christ, Onesimus went from unuseful to useful. And in the letter, Paul asks that Philemon allow Onesimus to return to Philemon without, to return to Paul without fear of punishment, even though he deserved punishment. Paul not only asks that Philemon accept Onesimus back, but also that he welcome him as a brother in Christ. And, and when he does this, Paul uses a play on words with his name. When he writes, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful. Now he is indeed Onesimus to you and to me. Once a useless Onesimus became useful Onesimus through the saving and transforming grace of God. And so in addition to the call to forgive, which is a main theme of Philemon, I think there's also this, this almost unnoticed but powerful reminder in Philemon that our identity is in Christ. Whatever names you were called on the playground or whatever names we've given to ourselves, we become who we were made to be when God calls us by name. When he calls us to be his own, when we are adopted into the family of God. And to be honest, before Christ, we were, we were not Onesimus. We were useless, on the run, ashamed, worthless, unloved. But, but the gospel, the good news message is that because of Christ, we've gone from runaway to child of God. We've gone from use, useless slave to being a useful person of impact in the kingdom of God. See, Paul was being, in a sense, a, a living, breathing picture of the gospel when he stepped in as a substitute for Onesimus. What did he say to Philemon? If you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Receive him. Can't you hear him say? Receive him as you would receive Christ. 
If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. See, because of Paul, Onesimus was welcomed back into Philemon's home. Because of Jesus, we're welcomed into God's home. Martin Luther put it this way, as Christ does for us with God the Father, so does Paul with Philemon for Onesimus. We are all God's Onesimi. <laughs> as one other writer puts it, we all have names we've been called and names we've called ourselves. We all bear shame over things we've done or things that have been done to us. The book of Philemon reminds us that when we encounter the gospel of grace, all of that has changed forever. Everything that was past is long gone. We are created anew, given a new name and a new identity. And as a new creation, a people of grace, we forgive. The forgive and forgive. It's what we do. <laughs> the dead are brought to life. The useless become useful in helping others find grace. We're, we're no longer runaways. We're adopted children of God with a seat at the table. Through Christ, we have become who we were created to be. And Philemon is a reminder that not only are we like Onesimus, but like Paul and Philemon, we will be given opportunities to forgive and restore other Onesimi in the world around us. The gospel not only brings grace, it makes us new. It gives us a new purpose, a mission. It changes how we love others. See, in, in many ways, what the letter to Philemon does is it gives us a guide. It gives us a, a roadmap to grace, a, a roadmap back to relationship and community. Paul turns the runaway around, back to Philemon, back to Christian community, back to a, a spiritual home. There was a, a famous study at Yale University done a long, 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 long time ago. Researchers tried to influence students to get tetanus shots. They, they played with all kinds of variables. Should we make them take a two-week course on the value of the tetanus shot or, or a one-week course? Should they read a 10-page paper, a 15-page paper? It turns out the only thing that made the difference was the little packet they gave students that included a campus map to show them how to get to the place that administered the shots. <laughs> That's what made it sticky. They, they didn't need to be warned about the dangers. They, they didn't need a two-week course on the medical history of tetanus. All they needed was a map. Malcolm Gladwell sh shared that in his, his book, The Tipping Point. See, Paul gave Onesimus a map home. Paul gave Philemon a map to reconciliation. Paul gave the church gathering at Philemon's house a map to restored community and, and growth in Christ. And while many people wonder, I understand this, why Paul didn't, which really means we wonder why God didn't just out and out in big, bold, black and white letters condemn slavery, indentured servanthood, anything that, that had this kind of owning of people, even for debts that they needed to pay in any way, shape, or form. But instead, what God chose to do was to form a community and model relationships which would eventually cause the whole institution of slavery to wilt and die. See, when you study Philemon, you begin to learn that Christianity can actually change the culture by changing the heart of individuals. It doesn't have to be political. It doesn't have to be law-based. We change the culture by changing the heart of individuals. We live in a democratic society today, which they didn't have in Rome, so we can be politically involved and active in voting, and we should. There's nothing wrong with that. We should stand up for righteousness and truth, but the heart the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And the church must stay faithful to the task of preaching the gospel, being salt and being light. We should be socially engaged, but we, we should prioritize 
the loving of people, the roadmaps to the adoption of sons and daughters into the family of God, and, and the sharing of Jesus, the preaching of the good news of Jesus Christ. With that in mind, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for Paul, and thank you for Philemon, and thank you for Onesimus. Thank you for the story that's been passed down for centuries upon centuries upon centuries of, of, of this moment of reconciliation, of this step of faith that would eventually lead to freedom, true freedom, and, and a spiritual home and a sense of community for everybody involved. God, I, I pray that we as a church would see our role and see the value and the importance of, of seeing the hearts of people change. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. God, it's not about laws. It's not about politics. It, it's fine and good to be involved in those things, but we need to understand that the way that you change the world is one heart at a time. God, may we be involved in that. Would you change our hearts and help us to change, be a part of changing others? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.